Before starting today's episode, please be aware that today's story will discuss suicide. If that is not something that you want to listen to, we absolutely understand, and we will see you next time. Hi, I'm David. And I'm Maddie. And you're listening to Legend Logic. special bonus episode yeah kind of so uh i don't know if anybody got a little too much lump mansion from the last episode but you're gonna get more because i'm obsessed with it and i can't let it go yet and what the story didn't actually happen in the house which is why you didn't include it before so originally i started to do my episode about this story um, because it's about one of the lump family members but you're right the incident doesn't actually take place in the Lemp Mansion, therefore I couldn't really use it as like proof it was haunted or mm-hmm. you know anything like that. So, but this is like a really cool story that, oh, it's... and it's like exactly the type of stuff that we started this podcast to talk about. So we're going to talk about it, and Absolutely. we hope you guys enjoy it. So yeah, I hope nobody's too annoyed with me. So welcome back, and uh, here we go. The story that I wanted to tell about the Lemp Mansion revolves around the Lemp's youngest daughter, Elsa. Uh. So she was born on February 8th, 1883, putting 18 years between herself and the Lemp's oldest child, Hilda. Wow, that is a large um, baby-making range range that they had there, yeah. So Elsa was pretty spoiled, Uh, like her dad took her to Paris every spring so she could pick out her season's wardrobe spoiled. (laughs) Wow, can't even if my imagine. Dad, if my dad's listening, I just want to know why I was never taken to Paris to pick out my season's wardrobe. Bro, I've never had a season's wardrobe. My my wardrobe's been the same for the last, you know... I believe that. ...many seasons. Yeah. So, even though she was spoiled, she was said to be very independent and feisty, which I think you'd have to be with as many brothers as she had. That's true. Unfortunately, Elsa lost her father to suicide around age 21 and then her mother to cancer around age 23. Um, With both her parents gone, she suddenly found herself the wealthiest single woman in St. Louis. Wow. Yeah. That's quite an accomplishment, I feel like. I mean, even though, you know, she inherited inherited the money, but like still quite a a title to hold at any point. Yeah. So her older siblings kind of stepped up. Took her under the wing. I guess that's, you know, a perk of being the youngest of eight. So in 1910, at the age of 27, Elsa married Thomas H. Wright at her sister's home in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. There you go. The papers were obviously super interested in her wedding because, like I said earlier, the wealthiest woman in St. Louis was getting married. I was really surprised to find out how much financial information they printed about her wedding, to be honest with you. So, Mm. like, the St. Louis Dispatch reported that $100,000 of Elsa's inheritance would be payable to her as soon as she was married. And Mm. they still, like, they kept going. They were like, so this $100,000, like, she's going to get it when she gets married. But, you know, that's only 100000 of the $1 of her inheritance of the $10,000 lump estate. So, like, Mm -hmm. or, sorry, $10 million lump estate. But just the fact that they put all those numbers in the newspaper, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I guess that's the information people want to hear. Like, you know, people hear, oh, the wealthiest single woman in St. Louis is getting married, and everyone's like, ooh, I want to hear about the money. I yeah, guess. they're probably like, well, how wealthy? Yeah. How much is it? I also found it funny that they went out of their way to mention that no showers had been thrown for the bride and no stag party happened for the groom. Wow. It kind of makes sense because back then people got married so young, but Elsa was 27 and Thomas was 33. So if you ever do some research on the history of stag parties or bridal showers, it's actually super interesting. I'm not going to go into it, but it's really fun. So do we think people at the time reacted to that and they were like, oh, sad, they have no friends? Or do you think it was like, oh, it's romantic that they didn't do these sort of My guess would be that the tradition was just for young people. And okay. this is this is just me speculating, but maybe they were considered too old for something like that. Hmm. Especially because like at bridal showers, you're supposed to like give gifts to like help the bride in her sure. new marriage. But yeah. if Elsa's this rich, she probably already has everything and doesn't need your gifts. Mm-hmm. I would assume she doesn't need them, but it's always nice to get gifts. I guess Come on. so, but still. And I would assume that Thomas didn't um, want a stag party because, like I said, if you ever look into the history of it, stag parties aren't fun for the groom. Oh. Like, it's not, it's not a good time for the groom. I don't know anything about these we'll, stag parties. We'll talk about it later. I don't, I don't want one, apparently. No, you don't. But maybe they should have had more fun with all that wedding stuff because it became very clear that their relationship wasn't quite as great as one may have hoped. Ooh. There was a lot of gossip that Elsa's money was paying for things at the time that were the husband's responsibility. So Elsa purchased the home they lived in. And there were also rumors that she paid for her own wedding ring and bridal gown, which interested a lot of folks at the time or scandalized mm. a right. lot of Just folks like at the time. Just like all about tradition, though, because like who actually cares right. which one paid for it? Exactly. But. Elsa became pregnant three years after their wedding, but the baby was stillborn. Mm. Uh, they named her Patricia. And it added another tragedy that was already a long list of tragedy in Elsa's life. And after this, it seemed like their marriage grew cold and indifferent. And the marriage being bare threads as it was, this was kind of the last straw for Elsa. Mm. So Elsa and Thomas separated in December 1918. And she filed for divorce on February 1st, 1919. Her petition for divorce included claims that her husband had, quote, destroyed her peace. That he, quote, treated her with indifference and, quote, had long ceased to love her, which makes me really sad. Yeah, those are really sad reasons. But I do think, like, back then you did have to give, like, much more, like, you have to tell them why you're getting divorced. Like, nowadays you can just be like, we want to get divorced. But I, I think, think you have then... to give a grounds nowadays, but it can be weak, right? Yeah, I think, like, a lot of times it's just, like, irreconcilable, irreconcilable differences. And I think that's pretty much like the, you know, the term on pretty much every divorce nowadays. But it's pretty easy to do. I think back then you had to give much more descriptive. You had to spill the tea publicly to get your divorce. And those are very poetic reasons, I must say. Yeah. Basically, she just claimed that he would find ways and reasons to stay out of the house so like he didn't have to be around her. Yeah. At the divorce trial, Elsa's doctor testified that the last few years had been a a series of mental and physical breakdowns for her and that her domestic situation was to blame. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, take a moment to look here. If you remember from the last episode, she's lost a brother, a father, a mother, and now a child all within at least a decade. And Mm -hmm. if she was struggling 
and on top of that caught in an unhappy marriage i mean we're really you know brewing trouble here yeah well and i just want to say and i'm saying this because i don't necessarily know where this story is going right now so i don't want to defend the husband if he's going to do something sketchy but like i will say i think statistically it's extremely unusual for a marriage to make it through like the death of a child or anything like that so i don't want you know i mean obviously he did a lot of things that weren't okay but i feel like the death of their child were was difficult for both of them and it resulted in the breakup of the marriage but um, i'm sure that's true especially back then not having things like therapy and yeah and, and stuff like that to get you through it i don't know the statistics of people making it through the death of a child i can't even begin to fathom yeah. um but yeah i'm sure it was really hard on both of them either way yeah especially like if you're like oh i'm gonna be a dad that's so exciting and then yeah. you don't get to be a dad i'm sure that hurt him too yeah and, and again that's not to say the bulk of the responsibility isn't on him because it sounds like potentially it was, but mm -hmm. it was hard for him too, I'm sure. Yeah. Here's where it gets rough. Post-divorce Elsa, okay, went away to New York City to get some space. She was separated from Thomas long enough to write him out of her will, to live her life a little, whatever. Then sort of out of nowhere, one year later, Thomas finds her in New York City there is no written record of what happened, but Elsa and Thomas reunite and they remarry. Oh, like pretty quickly? Yeah, like oh, right away. Interesting. I feel like there's more to that, but mm -hmm. we'll see. No, nothing, no, record, no written record of what that reunion was like. Yeah. So, um, well, and I guess this reunion wasn't as big of a deal as their marriage was the first time. I don't know. Hmm. So they reunite, they remarry. 12 days later... Elsa was found dead with a bullet through her heart. Ah, okay. So, March 20th, 1920, Elsa Lemp died in her home at 13 Hortons Place in the master bedroom she shared with Thomas. 12 days, their second marriage lasted. And if you're like me, you're thinking, 12 days, can you break it down? What the heck? And I'm saying, yes, here it is. So, Thomas and Elsa remarried on Monday, March 8th. Okay. They took a short eight-day honeymoon, LOL. They said short eight-day honeymoon, yeah, whereas today that would be like... Man, I would love to have an eight-day honeymoon. I know, my lord. They returned to their St. Louis home on Wednesday, March 17th. That Friday, two days later on March 19th, Elsa attended a concert and friends who saw her there claimed she looked happy, she seemed to be in good spirits, um, but friends also saw that Elsa was unaccompanied which is something that didn't really happen at the time. It was okay. kind of weird. Hmm. Um, when she got home around 5 or 6 p.m., she talked to her cook, and her cook was like, you know, she seemed happy, she was in good spirits, whatever. When the cook saw her again at 7 p.m., around mm -hmm. dinner time, she said Elsa seemed very nervous. Okay, so something happened. Yeah. Thomas would later testify, Thomas is Elsa's husband, mm -hmm. Thomas would later testify that Elsa didn't eat much on this night and that she was up all night nauseous and she was really sick. She didn't sleep much, mm -hmm. whatever. Okay. And then March 20th, Elsa is found dead and it is asserted that she died by suicide. Okay. And what time of day did she supposedly die? Like early that next morning? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'll yeah. get into it as we go forward, okay. but... I'm going to lay out the setup of this master bedroom that she supposedly passed. Well, she did pass away in. Mm -hmm. um, but the setup is going to be sort of important 
down the road. Okay. Um, so I'm going to try to paint you a word picture. Okay. Got to get got to get a, the the mental image of this in my head. Okay. Yeah. So, picture a bedroom with two twin beds against a wall and a nightstand in between them. Mm-hmm. Let's say you are laying in one of those beds. Across the room straight ahead from you is a fireplace. And then to the left of that, there's some stairs that lead to an outside sunroom, balcony type area. Is there a door between me and the stairs or no? Yeah. Okay. The wall on your right has a couch under a window and a bookcase. And the wall on your left has the door to the bathroom and the door to the closet. Mm. The door to exit the bedroom is also on your left-hand side, but it's on the same wall as the beds, if that makes sense. Do you have a clear picture? Yes. Okay. So first I will give you Thomas's version of what happened. The reason I laid out the room for you is so you could kind of picture his story as I tell it to you. Thomas claims that Elsa didn't sleep well the night before. So when he got up to get ready for the day at 8 a.m., he wasn't surprised that Elsa wanted to stay in bed for a little while longer. So Thomas got out of his bed and went to the bathroom, started running the water, and then realized, oh, I I forgot some clothes that I needed to grab. So he leaves the bathroom, goes into the closet, gets his clothes, and then goes back into the bathroom. Once he's in the bathroom for the second time, he heard what he described as a quick and very sharp noise. Hmm. He thought maybe she fell out of bed or threw something at the door to get his attention, which seemed like two completely different sounds to me. Potentially. But those were two reasonings he gave afterwards. Mm Mm-hmm. So he rushes back out from the bathroom. Um, He started to ask her what was wrong. And as he moved toward her, he saw the revolver on the bed. She had shot herself. And he immediately called one of the maids, said, call a doctor. And he was mortified. And the gun was in her hand or just on the bed? The gun was on the bed. Hmm. Okay. Later, during the coroner's inquest... Thomas said Elsa never talked about ending her life. He said that she had felt sick the night before, hadn't eaten much dinner. We already heard this. And she complained of being tired, but he never thought that anything like this was going to happen. When asked about the gun, Thomas claimed he had never seen it before, didn't even know Elsa had a gun. And I think it's important to note that Thomas had a doctor called around 8.30 a.m., then immediately called his lawyer who arrived and started handling media questions by 11.15 a.m., which is five minutes before the police were even on the scene at 11.20 a.m. And obviously, you can't blame someone for lawyering up because, you know, if something were to happen to you, I would obviously want a lawyer because I don't know how the legal system works and people are clearly going to point fingers at me. Yeah, but I was going to say it's just an intelligent thing to do in a lot of ways. But but I would not call my lawyer before calling the police, right. your family, my family, anybody that needed to know immediately. I don't know. My brain would not jump to lawyer. My brain would jump to whatever helped you. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. I think maybe different people's brains work differently. I think... Maybe because I didn't go to law school, but because I studied a lot of law, I feel like that sort of thing might be farther ahead in my brain in terms of the priority list than other people. I feel like I definitely wouldn't have called my lawyer before I called the police. There's no way, no chance I would have done that. But I couldn't see myself calling my lawyer before I called um, like either of our families, potentially. Really? Yeah. I cannot imagine calling a lawyer before calling your mom. 
period never Whew, we don't need to talk about that i know but... oh my gosh it makes me okay that just sent chills down my entire spine but anyway i'm already suspicious of him for that and i know i can't go just off that so moving forward mm-hmm. so then we hear from the servants and the staff of the house martha elizabeth minnie and kate were all in the house at the time this occurred None of them heard any gunshots. They were only alerted to the incident by Thomas shouting for Martha, shouting for help. Mm -hmm. So Martha and Kate made statements that Thomas began shouting for Martha around 845, and Minnie stated it was 830. Elizabeth was no help at the time. She honestly wasn't any help at all because she was the cook and she wasn't anywhere near where this happened in the house. So we kind of should just forget that she's there. But the servants' statements paint this picture. Thomas comes out of the bedroom shouting for Martha sometime between 8.30 and 8.45. He tells Martha to call a doctor. She begins to do so. She asks what's wrong, and he says something to the effect of, it's something so terrible I can't even tell you. Okay. He tells Kate to go into the bedroom because Mrs. Wright needed her. And Kate goes in. She sees what's going on and sees that Elsa is still breathing. And Kate takes her arm, and I think is trying to comfort her. I don't know. She talks about trying to rub her arm to like revive her, but like, honey, that's not CPR. Like hmm. I can't, I don't know what you were doing, but maybe it's just a, a time period thing. Well, and she's probably really stressed out. I don't know. It, it does sound like a, an interesting thing to do, but yeah. So then Martha comes in and they notice that all the bed covers are covering Elsa's body except for one hand and the gun is laying on the couch underneath the window about six to seven feet from the bed. So somebody moved it. When asked about the gun, Martha said that it was Elsa's. And when Elsa was separated from Thomas the first time, she had gotten that gun and hid it in her closet. Okay. So police were interviewed um, during the coroner's inquest as well, kind of what they had noticed, what they had done when they got on the scene, that kind of thing. And I think it's important to bring up that Sergeant Burke, one of the police officers on the case, he did have witness testimony from one of the maids that said she heard the shot and immediately ran into the room. And three hours later at the coroner's inquest, that story disappeared and was never told again. Okay, so stories are changing. Yeah. So more suspicious stuff. Um, First, Elsa is in bed covered up like she would have been if she was sleeping. So this means what? She would have had to shoot herself with one hand? The other hand was completely under the covers. Second, how did the gun move across the room? Thomas said it was on the bed when he found Elsa. The servants are saying it's six feet away on the couch. Elsa clearly didn't move it. So there's that. And third, what is this timeline? Because Thomas woke up at 8 a.m. and he seems to recount all this happening pretty quickly after he woke up. So why are the maids not alerted until 8.30, Mm-hmm. What were you doing in those 25 minutes, Guy? Valid questions. So no one ever questions Thomas on the whole like covers thing, like the bed covers thing. But when asked how the gun made its way across the room, Thomas tells police that he must have moved it at some point, but he doesn't remember doing so. He says he must have done it, you know, unconsciously. And to that I say, what? Like, let's take a moment. Okay, you find your wife with a gunshot wound in the chest. First of all, you don't describe the gun as being near or in her hand. You describe it as on the bed. Weird. 
-hmm. You claim that you didn't even know she had a gun. If you truly believed that she shot herself with a surprise gun, then yes, you may absolutely move the gun away from her Mm -hmm. so that she couldn't, you know, grab it again or something like that. But you would definitely remember moving a surprise loaded gun six feet across a room away from where you could be helping your dying wife. That's a good point. I I was going to say, I was starting to think that it makes sense that he would potentially move it, but he would almost certainly remember moving it then. And I would, I'm trying to picture myself in this situation, maybe kick it away or put it on the other bed or something like that. I can't imagine taking the time to walk it. I don't know. Anyway, later that day, Thomas remembered, oh yeah, you know what? That's my wife's gun um, and she keeps it in the nightstand between our beds in case the house is broken into. So maybe it wasn't a surprise gun and he did move it. Yeah, that's a really strange um, thing to remember later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought so too. When police asked Thomas for a timeline, he claims that he woke up at 8 a.m. and found his wife shot only five minutes later. So he claims that he immediately sounded the alarm. So why does every single maid remember not being called until 830 at the earliest? Mm -hmm. What were you doing? Suspicious. It gets fishier. In a letter from Dr. Malvern B. Clopton, who is the doctor that arrived on the scene, he states that when he got the call to come to Elsa and Thomas's home, it was around 830. So another person is, is saying 830. Yeah. When he arrived, her body was still warm and the bedclothes were in no way disarranged. He said it looked like she hadn't moved at all after being shot. So again, we have the what was Thomas doing between 8.05 and at least 8.30 and how did she shoot herself with one hand? When Elsa was examined by the doctor who arrived on the scene, it was found that the bullet had entered on the left side of her sternum and then exited between the 8th and ninth rib on the same side. There was a clear gunpowder residue mark around the entry of the bullet. And the doctor, this annoyed me. Okay, so the doctor notes that it was the time of her menstrual period. Like that had some kind of factor in her supposed suicide. Like maybe I'm reading into it. If anybody listening is a coroner or a medical death professional, like is that something they would normally have to report because it feels not cool to me at all. So now, I'll tell you a little bit about the coroner and that whole process. So first, the coroner wasn't even notified of Elsa's death until 11 a.m. A lot can happen between 8.30 a.m. or 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. There's a lot of unaccounted for time here. And he was notified at 11 a.m., but police weren't even on the scene until 11.20. So you're calling the coroner before the police? Yeah, strange. Well, he did call the doctor first. I guess, yeah. I don't know how it's done today, but at the time, a coroner's jury had to come in, see the body, hear the evidence, and deliver a verdict on cause of death and anything that was like could be suspicious. He had to deliver that like pretty quickly. Yeah. So they would get a group of six men together who would view the body and hear the evidence and they would all decide on a verdict. Mm -hmm. That did not happen here. The jury saw the body and signed a blank verdict document and they were dismissed. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Later, the coroner marked it as a suicide. Huh. The Post-Dispatch, which was a local newspaper, called them out on this because it was super suspicious. And the coroner said that it really wasn't anything unusual because they always do that when it's clearly suicide. Interesting. 
Before I give you my opinion, which you can probably already gather from my tone this entire time, I'm going to talk about the book that I mentioned in the last part of this episode, In the History and Haunting of Lump Mansion by Rebecca F. Pittman. She asks a retired police captain named Tom McClellan, I hope I'm saying that right, Tom, um, to review the case material and give her his thoughts, which I love when experts weigh in on books and stuff like Mm -hmm. this. So I was pretty excited. I'm not going to tell you everything that he says in the book because I really encourage you all to go read it because this part of the book is so satisfying to Mm -hmm. me. But I'm going to mention a couple of things. So he notes that, first of all, if they saw gunpowder around the wound, it would mean that the gun was held either against her or like two to three inches from her body. And this to him is kind of a signal that indicates suicide. Next, he said that without an autopsy, he wasn't going to guess at the trajectory of the bullet. Mm -hmm. So he really couldn't say if that trajectory made sense. But on the whole covers thing about the blankets, Mm -hmm. like not being moved and stuff like that, he said it looked like she wasn't moved after being shot. And that doesn't necessarily prove suicide, but it doesn't prove homicide either. It just means that there was absolutely no struggle in either case. Okay. Considering all the facts... Tom does believe it's suicide, but he admits that there's a lot of unanswered questions. He entertains the idea that it could have been an accident or murder, and I encourage you to read the book because this part is truly great. But that's kind of, in his professional opinion, with the documentation that we have from the 1920s, what he can offer as truth. So this case goes down in history as a suicide, but... I don't believe it. Let's discuss. I feel like I don't usually listen to stories like this and am more skeptical in this type of situation. I feel like when a wife dies and it's under kind of sketchy circumstances, I feel like I tend to... It's always the husband. Yeah, I feel like I tend to believe it's the husband. I'm Maybe it's just because I'm supposed to be the skeptic here, but I did listen to this wanting to believe that he didn't do anything sketchy. I will side sort of with the, and go along with the opinion that the modern doctor who responded to the book. The police chief, retired police chief. Yes, the police chief. I'm sorry. I thought it was a doctor. Mm -mm. I will sort of side with his opinion and say that I think it's a suicide, but if someone told me that in reality it was a murder, I would not be surprised. Oh, I'm so disappointed in you right now. My number one thing, and once again, I I really, really hate discussing suicides, to be honest with you. It sure. upsets me. But my number one thing is, how did she get get the gun from, from the drawer in the bedside table and use one hand to shoot herself in the side? And the trajectory shot it out through her ribs in the back. I thought it was through the sternum. But it's in the left side of her sternum. So, sure. Sorry, in the front, let's say. Mm-hmm. Okay, right through her heart. Yeah. You would have to hold the gun, like, and I don't know how that angle would yeah. work. It's a really strange way to have done it. I agree, but that alone doesn't make me think that it wasn't a suicide. Especially considering the fact that we know the gun was in very close proximity to her when it was fired. Yeah, but I know you don't imagine ever killing me, thank thank God. But mm-hmm. if you had to, wouldn't you do it at close range so I would die immediately? So potentially, but would you agree that because it doesn't seem that there was a struggle of any kind that... She was asleep? Yeah, that she was asleep when it happened. You would agree yeah. with that? So a lot of the other factors 
involved in this situation make me think that if it was murder, it was a last minute decision. Like it doesn't seem like if it was a murder that he did a lot of planning. Absolutely not. No, especially because one of the maids clearly had to be silenced. She ran in on something. Mm -hmm. I don't know which maid it was. They don't name her. But for all we know, she could be covering up for him. She could have helped him. It's too suspicious for me. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I, I think it's valid. There's a lot of unexplained things to take into account whichever way you're gonna go. So if you think that it's murder, then you have to take into account things like he had to have woken up with no planning the night before. How do or you know he like didn't that. plan the night before? If he planned this out, then he planned it terribly. I agree, but he very well could have decided the night before. She came to dinner distressed. Like, right. something had changed. They had a fight. Something happened. He just, But it seems like he, he had, like, the maids changed their story from the initial to when they answered it for the police later, correct? So there was yes. some sort of planning or changing of the story that could that must have happened in that time but he couldn't get that story straight the night before when he had already thought it up correct that just doesn't he can't let the maids in on it it's not like he can plan the night before to tell them exactly when he's gonna wake up and then need them in the morning or something like that so maybe he didn't keep track of time well enough to to know like what they were gonna say okay so he planned it the night before but he didn't let the maids in on it i don't know i'm just trying to like talk it out a little bit i'm not claiming that he planned it the night before i it could very well be i don't know i'm this is total speculation Mm -hmm. absolutely speculation i have no evidence to back it up it's just a feeling that i have Mm -hmm. she took him out of her will after they got divorced Maybe he found out about that. Maybe he was mad about that. Maybe he tried to get money out of somewhere and he couldn't because he was off all of her, I don't know, accounts or whatever. I don't know. I'm just saying he didn't have that much money. She had a lot. Mm -hmm. I could see there being arguments about it. I could see him thinking, if I kill her, I get all of her money, even though he didn't know that he wouldn't. I Mm -hmm. don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying that I do not believe that she did this yeah i can see where your argument's coming from but when i argued the other way you said you were extremely disappointed in me as if it was ridiculous to believe the other way i think that it's not ridiculous to think the other way because i think there are a lot of really difficult questions to answer if you believe that it is murder okay we absolutely don't have to agree on this i'm always hopeful that it's not suicide that's fair i would love for something else to have happened to her besides that Because she deserved more than that. Either way, she deserved to live the rest of her life and she didn't get to. And I feel bad. Like, if he did kill her, I don't want to be the one defending a murderer either. But No, um, but I understand. I mean, he wasn't ever, you know, arrested or tried or anything for her murder. So it's not like I have any ground to stand on. It's just I have so many questions for him. And Mm -hmm. I don't understand why the police didn't ask more. Or if they did, where is that? Yeah. Any unsolved mystery or, you know, any solved mystery slash murder, question mark, suicide, question mark type situations, usually there's more than a few people who didn't do their job as well as they should have. Yeah. But anyway, I hope that you guys enjoyed this little bit of extra on the Lump Mansion. You can follow us on Instagram at Podcast. You can send us an email at legendlogicpodcast at gmail.com. We hope to hear from you, hope to keep listening, and we'll see you soon. Bye!